there and welcome to episode 62 of Let's Talk with Scoggs. This week I am joined by a very passionate individual that I met through yoga teacher training. So I started practicing yoga about two years ago and for all of the things you've heard people say, it's, it's changed my life. Um, and so I wanted to learn more about it. So I decided to take a training and I met an entire group of lovely, lovely people. But Nish is unlike anyone I've ever met for a lot of reasons, but mostly for the passion that he has. And you're going to hear it immediately in his voice. It's interesting that we both found ourselves at this training together. And the training goes through, you know, we learned how to lead a class and be a teacher, but we also studied the philosophy and it's philosophy that Nish grew up with. So he had... Uh, he's had years to sit with it and learn it. So, so having him around while we were learning these um, different ideas and learning about ourselves, everything he was very um, helpful to help re- you know help resonate with these ideas and what we were learning. And I'm just forever grateful for him and to have made a friendship with him. And post training, we've stayed in touch. And he is just lovely. So if you have any interest in yoga or are looking for some new philosophy to kind of study and understand and help you learn about yourself a little more. Uh, He is a wealth of information. And at the end of the episode, uh, he'll tell you where you can catch up with him more. He's in a cool band in LA. He's just, he's just, he's a real delight. So um, here is episode 62 with Nish Savalingam. Hello. Hello, hello. Hey, Sarah. Hi. How are oh, you doing today? <laughs> you know, we were uh, at that restaurant that one time, and then you mentioned your podcast. And I was so excited about it. Here we are. Here we you are. You know, I always like when things manifest when they happen. You know, you put the intention out, and here we are. <laughs> so here great. we are. I had envisioned us sitting together. <laughs> in Lake Shrine. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> okay, we'll have to close our eyes. Yeah, and conjure up Lake Shrine in the imagination. Mm-hmm. I see it. I can smell flowers. Yeah. Bees buzzing. There are the swans in the distance. Yes. Oh, see, you're so calm. They're making their way towards us oh. right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is just what I needed today. I'm so excited that this worked out. I'm so excited. Yeah, me too. Let me just say, Sarah, I love sure. all the stories that you've been posting on Instagram. Like, I just oh. love all the uplifting and the bright colors. You know, it's so... Like, I feel like I'm walking into my mom's house and I'm nine and on the refrigerator is like art for my little sister. I don't know. It's great. That's great. (laughs) Oh, Nish, you're so nice. You're like, I've, and I told you this, I've never met anyone like you or that makes me feel the way that you make me feel or like says the things that you say. You're just such a unique, special, I don't know how you exist kind of person. Like you're just, (laughs) you're, you're just so... I think I think one of the things that I've realized in this time of us being away from people, and it, it's really given me a chance to miss them, you know, because I can't interact right. with them. I was seeing you yeah. every week for nine weeks, you know? What, what a luxury, huh? For I like, know. you know, 12 hours a day, two times a week. Yeah. And I just... For nine weeks. And it's given me a chance. And I guess this is kind of looking at this as a positive thing that we've had to keep our distance if I'm trying to like, you know, make lemonade 
out of my lemons is that (laughs) I realized that everybody that I met through teacher training is super special and my heart misses everybody in different ways. But you, you specifically, I, like I said, I've never met anyone like you or that says the things that you say because you're just, you seem to have such, and I don't know if I'm using the right language here, but you seem to have control over things that I was unaware that I needed to even have control over, um, like distractions. I, I thought I know the obvious distractions in my life, but the distractions of my mind, which is basically why right. we practice yoga. But you mm. were able to put things in such poignant ways that just any disillusions I had, you could explain them so clearly where it resonated so quickly rather than me having to really gnaw on that thought I was it just kind of made sense like oh that's what that is um wow and I'm so curious about how you are a young man existing in the same year that I am (laughs) and you have that ability because you're so young like I don't understand how you are you and I mean that in the most (laughs) celebrated happy I mean, there's some envy in there because I just want to hone that (laughs) skill. But I'm just like, how does Nish exist Uh, in 2020? Like, how is he a young man living in L.A. in a cool (laughs) band? Like, so smart. Like, how how did this happen? Where, like, what's from birth? What, tell me from birth. What happened? Ah, you are too kind to me, Sarah. (laughs) You know, the other day I was just sitting in meditation. I was thinking, how little do I know about any of this? so confusing this path you know of yoga yeah. there's so many things that I'm gnawing on and that I'm struggling with and uh it's just kind of it, it really uplifts me to hear you say oh there are ways that I phrase things that have helped you and yeah. that's just how it feels like there are ways that people phrase things that help me a lot too but I don't feel like I have any more control or any less than anyone else we're just on the path you know together yeah. but thank you for your kind words yeah well I think it's me starting to recognize areas where I was suffering um, mm. that I wasn't aware was a problem. Like, I knew the obvious things because, I mean, I've been in therapy. I've, you know, dealt with anxiety and depression, some right. eating problems, like all the, you know, very common things that, you know, young people have gone through, especially in this modern society and all that sort of stuff. And mm. I, going into yoga training, I felt like really good really good mentally. I was excited to, you know, learn the vocabulary of yoga in a way. Mm. Um, But as we did it, I realized, oh my gosh, there's a lot of areas I was unaware of that I needed to work on that I got to address, (laughs) which is good. It could have been very daunting of like, oh crap, I'm way further behind than I thought I should be. But with you know, our beautiful teachers and our, like, everybody in class that we've exhausted the idea that we're all so special and loving and it was so encouraging of a group. But you were essentially on my level. We were both students. But you have such a a vast understanding of all of this that it was so comforting because, you know, the the books they gave us, some of the stuff would kind of fly over my head a little bit and I'd have to really think Mm. about it. But like I said before, you could just kind of put it in one or two sentences and then I was like oh that's what that means oh so I'm I'm like makes me really happy did you like where like how long have you been in LA first is my first question I've been here four years now four and a half years and I grew up in Kuala Lumpur Malaysia okay in Southeast Asia Mm -hmm. um and I grew up 
to a family of practicing Hindus and uh. pr- I would say practicing yogis. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because in, in India, um, Indian philosophy, the concept of reincarnation mm. is more a scientific one than it is a religious one. It's just a concept that explains why certain people have certain predispositions for things. Mm-hmm. So the idea would be like, for instance, Mozart, um, he's a genius at age three. And there are only two ways to explain that. Either there are some random neurological things happening in his brain, like Mozart's brain is just so fundamentally different that at age three, he inexplicably inherited this talent. Mm. Or we explain that by saying, since we know people who have talent had to work for it or build certain synaptic pathways or muscle memory, Mozart at age three must have built his genius at some previous time, but uh-huh. the only previous time would have been a past life, uh-huh. you know? So someone like Mozart was probably a person whose soul or whose, you know, spirit had spent many lives studying and perfecting music. And it just so happened that in the Mozart verse, in the Mozart chapter of that spirit's life, um, his dedication to music flowered into musical genius, you know? Yeah. Oh. And so it seems like um, my, my journey in yoga it feels to me to have, have been one that I, I kind of inherited mysteriously, mm-hmm. you know, because my, my parents aren't very, well, when I was growing up, they weren't very into the practice of yoga, though they were very aware of the culture of yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, but my grandfather was a devoted um, devotee, I suppose, of the god Shiva. Ah. And, you know, uh, in Indian mythology, Shiva is the god of yoga. He's the king of the yogis. <laughs> I call him the supreme yogi. So I had the great fortune, Sarah, of growing up in a household where there were big pictures of Shiva all around the household. So as a young four-year-old, I could sit behind before this painting of a blue man sitting in lotus pose. On his lips was a very mysterious smile, like the master of the universe kind of smile. (laughs) And his eyes were half closed. And he had this like long hippie dreadlocks, you know, Mm -hmm. hair that would flow down to his shoulders. And he was so effeminate, like the curves of his body. There was something so hermaphroditic about the Shiva Uh that the image of Shiva in lotus pose captured me. And I think that's what set me on my path in yoga. And yet as a child, as a little four-year-old, you were sparked. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just drawn to it. And I couldn't explain why that the image had such an allure to me. But, you know, it wasn't until I was 14 that I became serious about yoga because throughout my childhood, I was of course, surrounded by people who would talk about yoga and be, you know, in, in, in the temples in my neighborhood and stuff. But at age 14, we went to India. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was actually my first trip to India. My mom was taking me there to visit one of her gurus. Um, his name was Satya Sai Baba, um, very famous Indian mystic, who had a very large following. And we went to his ashram. And I remember sitting in the ashram, there were people from all over the world. It's like hippies, you know, like hippies from everywhere, all over <laughs> Europe. And we're all sitting in this big room. <laughs> um, and it's every like 1967 pastiche you can imagine, like people whirling about in ecstasy. We're doing kirtan, which is um, the tradition of singing songs of devotion for God. Mm. And it's like Woodstock, everyone's singing. I remember turning around and behind me was this guy, you know, like a European, tall European gentleman with flowing brown hair and a big brown beard. And I couldn't help but think, that's Jesus. 
you know, <laughs> Jesus. Um, and my grandmother is Christian. So I always had like a lot of Jesus, Mother Mary influence also. Uh-huh. And only in India at age 14 did those two connections come together. And I was like, oh, Jesus is a yogi or, you know. Um, and then that day, I, at age 14, stumbled upon the Bhagavad Gita in an Indian bookstore And the Bhagavad Gita is like one of the older scriptures detailing kind of Krishna's exposition of yogi, yoga to his devotee Arjuna. And the book just captured me. So I think that was my, my initiation when I read the Bhagavad Gita, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just like the, the difference of experiences that we all individually have in life. And then the fact Mm. that you and I met at, teacher training at the same time, obviously different points in our journeys in life, different parts of our, you know, I've only been practicing yoga for about three years. So Mm. I'm, I'm in the like honeymoon phase of, I want to know everything (laughs) about you. I want you to know me. I want to just stare into your eyes lovingly. And I just want to do you, be with you every day. Um, so to hear that you were, first in that phase when you were a child and then you had a massive experience at 14 and you're still as passionate about it today is very encouraging because I know that there's, oh, you know, we have ADD yeah. in this modern age, especially here in America, <laughs> especially here in Los Angeles. We get over things really quickly, but I feel like this, what this has done for me and the people that it's brought into my life, um, I just want to know everything about it. And there's so much to know, especially from a philosophy perspective. So the fact that you were in right, my teacher yeah. training, we signed up at the same time and I got to meet you and I get to talk to right. you. It's so cool. Take a moment to thank our sponsor of this week's episode. Our sponsor is Best Fiends. It's a mobile game that you've heard me talk a lot about. When you need some me time, Best Fiends is a fun escape from the everyday. So we all need a little break now and then, especially right now. I have had a really busy brain, so this is a nice way to keep my brain active, but I can also be relaxed. Best Fiends is an oasis of fun that you can take anywhere. Truly, you can play it somewhere if you don't have Wi-Fi. So if you find yourself in public transit in the future, if you find yourself traveling again in the future, or if you're at home and you have a bad Wi-Fi signal in your upstairs bedroom, don't even worry about it. Take your game right up there, no problem. Best Fiends is an oasis of fun. I love it. Thousands of challenges, cute little characters to collect. And my strategy with the game has been to evolve my cute characters. They grow, they evolve, they get stronger. It comes in really handy. So if you're playing the game, let me know your strategy as well. Always looking for strategy. Um, Sometimes I find myself playing for, you know, 15 minutes, five minutes, but also sometimes I find myself really engaged in the game. And um, I get sometimes I get stuck on uh, levels. It's gotten more challenging, which has made it more fun as I've gone through and leveled up. It's nice to have a game that I can play casually or I can really dive into and give it my all. Um, and Best Fiends treats the game um, like a service for their players. So it's got lots of themes and challenges and updates every month. There's events, so it really never gets old. Best Fiends has thousands of levels already new levels and events and characters added every month. It's hours of fun right at your fingertips and you can even play offline. With over 100 million downloads and tons of five-star reviews, Best Fiends is a must play. 
Download Best Fiends for free in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. And that's friends without the R. Best Fiends. If you play, please let me know. I would love to know what level you're on. All right. Thank you, Best Fiends, for sponsoring the show. And let's get back to it. Ah. It is is so beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's so nice that you you would describe yoga as, like, this gift that keeps giving. I love your metaphor of, like, a relationship, like you and the beloved, you know? (laughs) Uh, because that metaphor is very dear to Indian uh, mythology, like Krishna and the cowherd girls. Like the spiritual experience is often described as a very, like almost er- erotic imagery is a very appeal to kind of metaphor for the spiritual adventure. Mm. So I love that you describe it as like, here's this honeymoon phase where you want to stare into the eyes of your lover, yoga. Yeah. yeah um, and, you know, it's like you start with this like infatuation with yoga and you're right. Um, I think the path to a lot of people is they, somehow stumble into yoga through its physical practice because here in the West, you know, yoga is often equated to hatha yoga or the postures of yoga. Right. And the person does that and they're in their first corpse pose. And a lot of people, I think, touch upon that deeper dimension of yoga, that feeling of peace Mm -hmm. and stillness. And then it's addictive. They keep going back to the studio and then they start meeting people who share their enthusiasm. And like you, Sarah, they discover the philosophy of yoga Mm -hmm. and something about the resonating, you know, the, the, the way it relates to you, like this text that was written at 3,800 BCE hits the nail right on the head with all the problems that we have in our life. That's like intoxicating. And so we get hungry. We want to learn more. And then we learn that the tradition of yoga is so wide and never ending. There's bhakti yoga, the yoga of devotion and karma yoga, the yoga of action and kriya yoga, the yoga of energy. And there's never... Uh, you can never read enough and you can never practice enough and every day it's new um, that you're right. It stays fresh every day. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, okay. So full disclosure, I was the asana person. I just needed to, I needed to sweat. I needed to move my body. I Mm. was always um, an athlete. Like I was like fast or aggressive, but I never saw my body as like graceful (laughs) or um, right. Or being very balanced. So mentally, I needed balance. And physically, I was like, I don't know if I can do these, you know, internet postures where they're, you know, all the inversions and (laughs) hand balancing and headstands. I was like, oh, my God. that's. But I knew that there was an emphasis on breath. So I went to a class. And I did hot yoga first. I was like, I just need to sweat and be in a dark room without my phone. (laughs) No cell phones allowed. And you're right. It was Shavasana. At the end of it, where I felt like, I don't know what we just did, <laughs> but I was actually <laughs> peaceful. Like, lying there and having to be still wasn't as challenging as it was to lie still to go to sleep because right. I had been focused on my breathing. I, you know, had stretched my body. And there was just all this, like, magical stuff that happened where... I I realized after, you know, I went back and I kept going back and everybody was so nice and there were people there that were smiling and there wasn't really a competitive spirit in sports. You know, I played competitive sports growing up and it just really got me. And there wasn't um, a huge emphasis on the philosophy um, or any of the sacred or anything, but I don't know if it was because I just wasn't hearing it. Like it might've been shared, but I was still just kind of like in my own little zone of what it was doing. Yeah. And it slowly just 
kind of became something I was more interested in. And I started Googling things. And I was yeah. like, there's so much here. There's like all kinds of stuff. It's not just me on my mat. People have been doing this <laughs> for so long that the idea that anything can sustain interest in people for more than like 50 years <laughs> is crazy to me. Yeah. People are still... <laughs> jazzed about it and learning about it and now with the internet we can share it and i don't know it's just i romanticize things a lot but yeah. i feel like this really no, wants you know, it <laughs> i love that you do because i think you're pointing at something here it's like the reason yoga has persisted for the seven thousand years that it's been around yeah. isn't i think because of its like philosophies or it's very nuanced intellectual systems the reason it's persisted is i think anybody anywhere can have a direct first-hand experience, even if it's just for a few seconds in Shavasana yeah. at the end of a hot yoga class in a dark room of peace, yeah. you know? Um, and I think that's a feeling like peace is a feeling that not a lot of people are acquainted with. And uh, you're right to point at LA and like ADD culture and like how we are always looking for stimulation. And so happiness or joy is a feeling that people want. But like the Buddha pointed out, you know, at 200 BCE, um, all of those things are very short-lived and transient. Mm. Um, and so there's no lasting sense of fulfillment or meaning, and it creates like this, this void inside of us. And then a person goes to yoga, and maybe they don't hear about any of the philosophy or anything, but at the end of the session, they feel that yeah. peace, and that's the vibration of yoga. So you're saying, you know, you're looking at the people around you, and they're smiling, and you're surrounded by not competitive people who are laid back, who are just like exuding an aura of calm and yeah. love and peace. That's yoga, you know. Yeah. That's the vibration of yoga, the felt experience of yoga. And I needed it so badly. Like, I just was an anxious wreck of a person. Mm. And it's interesting, too, that yoga, I realized has provided me with a way to express a lot of the things about myself that I have suppressed in a way. Um, right. Like, I do feel like there is a part of me that enjoys leadership and, and leading and setting, you know, being able to help people, but I never found a way to really do that. And I feel mm. like this is an opportunity to do that, to be a leader and mm. to share and to make people feel better. Um, I love that. I've, I've never really found a way to, like we already talked about, find peace within myself. So this is absolutely right. an exercise in that. And then just the curiosity of any sort of religious, philosophy, God sort of space, I've really struggled with finding what I connect with. And this right. offers me a lot of stuff that I feel very encouraged by rather than um, discouraged by. And I think I told you about that. I grew up Catholic and there's a lot of that, that made right. me feel like, um, I wasn't enough or I wasn't perfect or I wasn't meeting a certain standard. Um, and I've really enjoyed studying the sutras. And I was really lucky that day that I got paired with you in that group because we kind of oh, shared so a little fun. bit more, but, um, the idea that I have these tools within myself and it's okay to kind of get there slowly and that mm. you're it's all going to be okay is <laughs> like I the love that. Yeah. <laughs> and um that there are tools that I have within myself by slowing down and you know breathing and practicing the asanas if I need to or just I don't know there was just a lot of it that felt like I can actually apply this and find comfort in this 
and not be scared of it or feel like I'm not worthy of it or that if I make a a misstep, it's going to, you know, shun me away or something. Um, Right. Yeah. 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 There's no like personal deity who's holding you accountable, um, except that it's just your, your journey and you go at your own pace and everything's all loving and here are the tools. I love that. Yeah. When you were, um, yeah, no, I was just going to ask when you were four, were you aware of like, what parts of yoga were you aware of as, as a child? Like how did my entryway, like most people was the asana practice. Yours was this poster of this like extravagant character figure. Um, so where did, as a child, how, like your grandfather, what did he show you? You know, um, it's a really interesting question, Sarah, because yoga gets introduced to the West in asana, Mm -hmm. meaning posture. And that's actually a very new age and uh, underground tradition in yoga. It's called hatha yoga or forceful yoga. Um, and hatha yoga as a movement doesn't show up until the middle ages of India. So we're talking like 1100 AD India, you know. Um, but traditionally, Indians, when they talk about yoga, at least this was true 10 years ago. Things are changing a lot now, um, you know. But 10 years ago when, or 15, when I was growing up, when I was four, like 2006, um, what, when, when an Indian person would talk about yoga, they would often talk about meditation mm. because the original text on yoga, the foremost text that you mentioned earlier, the Yoga Sutra, out of its 190 lines or 90 sayings, only four of them are about posture. And so that crazy. is just, what's that? I just, I, when they told us that in class, I was like, what? <laughs> there was yeah, it's crazy, right? It blew my mind. Yeah, it's like mind-blowing. <laughs> and you, you know the I posture just, is just yeah. no 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 you're right because <laughs> it, that, that is for a lot of people the mind-blowing moment when they realize yoga doesn't actually mean posture or that yeah. the word yoga as a word union is more about meditation in the mind mm-hmm. that's like what people yeah. are usually very shocked to hear that um and so that's the yoga that i grew up in because when we talk about yoga we talk about meditation so the image of Shiva meditating was the metaphor for yoga. Like you sit in lotus pose, you're in a pose that allows you to be still. And when your body is still, you turn inward. And so Shiva, he's covered in ash. You know, he's blue and he's covered in ash. So he's the god of the grave or the god of death. And a lot of that refers to him kind of dying to the external world. It sounds all very extreme, but that's what the kind of yoga was that I grew up in, like renouncing the external world, realizing that pleasure is short-lived, um, that material comfort will not fulfill you. So to change your desire for an external quest into an internal quest is what yoga meant. Now, this at age four wasn't all um, intuitive to me. It, was, it wasn't <laughs> intellectually understandable, but it was intuitive. Like the image was very intuitive. I knew kind of, I could feel what the image was, saying now star wars actually helped a lot this is strange but yeah like i you know star wars came out and you know i was growing up when the first three movies were coming out and you know george lucas draws so heavily from that yogic buddhist kind of tradition when he you know creates the jedi Jedi, you know the jedi order yeah they're essentially yogis you know they have a temple and they meditate and they interact with the force um and everything about the jedi is like drawn from that you know, tradition of yoga, even their names, you know, like Mace Windu, Mace yeah. Hindu or Yoda, like yoga. Oh and God. a lot of what Yoda would say was drawn from the Bhagavad Gita. So when he says, he says to Anakin, he says, um, 
uh, fear leads to jealousy, and jealousy leads to anger, and anger leads to hatred, and hatred leads to suffering. That was actually pulled right from the Gita. There's a line just like that, you know? Sorry, I'm... So here I am. I'm freaking out you know, over here. Having... <laughs> no, right? It's crazy. You know, and there's that line in episode three where um, Anakin Skywalker is worried to lose Padme's love of his life, and he's a Jedi, and the Jedi are supposed to have compassion for all beings. They can't fall in love with one specific person, but he breaks the rule and he falls in love and he discovers attachment and he's so attached to Padme um, that he can't bear to lose her. So he goes to Yoda and he says, I've been having these visions of someone close to me dying. And he says, what do I do? And Yoda says, you need to meditate more and you need to train to let go of that which you fear to lose most. You know, like all those kinds of wisdom just came to me through Star Wars and it took George Lucas repackaging for me my culture for me as a four-year-old to get invested in it again, you know? <laughs> wow. I have seen those movies so, I started meditating. so many times. Yeah. And I've, I've not... I mean, I, I've, I've always known that Yoda is like, you know, he's very special. But yeah. <laughs> I need to rewatch episode one, two, and three now. Yeah, after you watch the, read the Bhagavad Gita and you watch episodes one, two, and three, you're like, this is so saturated with, um, you know, Eastern mysticism. It's ridiculous. Oh, oh my God. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, also, like, the Paduan, when they have that long, uh, flowing lock of hair, like, that's something that Brahmin boys would traditionally wear, you know, like, as a sign of their, their devotion to spirituality. Uh-huh. So there were so many parallels between what I was seeing in Star Wars at age four and what, you know, I was being surrounded by in my culture that created an interest in me for meditation. So it wasn't until I was 18 years old that I did my first asana, mm. you know? Um, because by then, you know, the West had already in the early 2000s, the West had started to really capture asana and like you, you know, um, asana was a way for people to move and have a physical regime that was different from sports, not as competitive. And that made yoga like asana oriented and the West repackaged that and gave it back to the East. So when I was 18, the first quote unquote modern yoga studios or asana studios were popping up, you know? Wow. Yeah. So I was meditating before I was doing the asana, but I found that the wisdom of Patanjali Yoga Sutra is that meditation, it's hard to do. Anybody who tries to meditate uh, realizes that it's really challenging at first. Um, And I found at 18 that asana, the physical postures of yoga is like rocket fuel when it comes to meditation. It just calms your body. It deals with your nervous energies firing this way and that, and it makes meditation that much more accessible. So that's kind of how I came into asana. Yes. Wow. That just all made so much sense to me in terms of, like, my experience with everything. Like, I need to exhaust my body for my mind to be still. Right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm in awe of the fact that you were young and could sit still and meditate. That is so powerful. Oh, it's, I think it's easier when you're young, you know, like um, kids meditate really well. Really? <laughs> yeah, I was the other day I was uh, in Colorado. I was visiting my partner's family mm. and she's got, you know, they're these very cute 
small kids that were, I was playing with them and teaching them some yoga. We were doing yoga postures and they had just watched the new Star Wars movie, you know? So they were already very interested in the force and the in, in, intuition and stuff. So they just wanted to talk about the force, you know? And it was, it was me looking at young kids going through the exact journey that I was going through when I was young. It was all very special. So I was teaching these two kids, um, JB and Dean, I was teaching them to meditate. So I would tell them to sit in a cross-legged uh, posture and they would do it. They would really do it. They could do it for 10 minutes. Um, and they were enjoying it. You know, it wasn't like a struggle. And they were kids that like like to be stimulated. They needed to run from one thing to another, you know, as like young boys do. Um, but meditation comes quite naturally to children, I think. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Even when a kid, I think, plays or like does Lego, they're not thinking about other stuff. They're there completely with the Lego. They're like in the present moment. Whereas with us, even if we're doing something we enjoy, our mind will think about the past and the future, you know. Yeah, that is that is one of the things that I still am really trying to 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 fix or not fix, but accept, witness, see that I do it, um, and just be more aware of it. But being, especially in this situation where you know the staying away from people, keeping to yourself while this virus goes away, the idea of being where I am is, I don't want to say easier, but I can't go and I can't really be anywhere and else because yeah here um but (laughs) the the future thinking about like worrying about the future and that fear i still need some help with that right yeah what do you you got we all what do you got for me (laughs) any advice oh i love any teachings you can pass (laughs) along to anyone else because i'm sure there's someone else that's going to hear this that has the same problem so what have you learned or how have you dealt with that yeah, you know, uh, if, if there's anything that I've learned, it's that to deal with the problem of the mind, and that is the mind is a great tool but a terrible master, mm. um, to escape the pain of thinking about the past and the pain of thinking about the future involves a lot more than just the desire to do so. Mm. Because the mind is, you know, they say in the Bhagavad Gita, harder it is to control the mind than it is to control all four winds of this earth, Arjuna, Krishna says. And he's admitting to the fact that it takes a devoted daily practice to deal with this problem of the mind. Um, It's almost as if the mind was this big elephant and we're riding this elephant and we want the elephant to go to this sugarcane patch, but it has a mind of its own and it just goes where it will. And we're the elephant rider completely at the mercy of the mind or the elephant. And the practice of yoga, you know, is like you mentioned earlier, tools that we need to do every day with devotion and reverence to see an actual change in the mind. Because a lot of this stuff is subconscious. There are patterns that are embedded into the subconscious mechanics of the mind. They're so deep that just the conscious desire to be rid of them is not enough to be rid of them. Practice is needed. And uh, in terms of practice, that's where yoga comes in. Yoga says um, there are eight things that you have to master in your quest to deal with the mind. And the first of those eight things is just choosing to live ethically, you know, Mm-hmm. those five what we call yama so the five vows that a yogi takes um, and that is non-violence non uh, speaking the truth non-stealing non-grasping and continence meaning not to waste our energy um, like particularly our sexual energy indiscriminately mm. so already those five things are really difficult to practice but they have to be practiced 
because from them, only then do we have the ethical foundation start working with the next five things, which is staying clean, you know, like saucha, being clean, um, being content with what we have, which doesn't, I think, mean happiness or peace, but just accepting things as they are, contentment. Um, then we'll have to get an appetite for hard work, which is tapas, austerity, you know, being willing to do practice, even if that practice makes us uncomfortable. Like anybody who tries their first forward fold and their hamstrings are tight, realizes that they're in their literally stretch zone, right? They're dis experiencing discomfort. We have to have the attitude of being okay with discomfort in practice. Mm. We have to have svadhyaya um, or introspection, like the ability to observe ourselves objectively, to study and work with ourselves like a scientific specimen. So we have to start keeping a journal and keeping track of what thoughts we're thinking. And finally, we have to cultivate a spirit of sacredness for what we're doing for yoga. Ishvara um, pranidhana, which means to devote yourself to a higher power or to cultivate a sense that what we're doing is good and important to do. You know, so this is just like the first 10 practices that we do to create a foundation for yoga. It's not even yet the practice of yoga. And already we have a lot of work to do, huh? Yeah. <laughs> even you know, like the so, yamas and the niyamas, just like that being something that was like the intro to everything. Like once I was explained in the, the eight limbs, it makes so much sense that like you have to do this in baby steps. And right. yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that's okay, you know? Um. And yeah. I, I also once once we were going through them and that one of them was um you know just like caring for your, like cleanliness like just taking care of this your space and you know just keeping mm. things orderly like just that simple thing of like I guess nowadays we'd call it like self-care like drinking water right. yeah you know taking a walk keeping your you know clutter away like just that that is actually part of this practice is so nice that it's not just assumed that you already have your life all together right. and you're just going to have to be able to do all of this. They break it down. Right. Digestible. Yeah. Oh, so nice. It's like so sympathetic to our condition. Like it gets how difficult this process is. Because, you know, a lot of people, they, they come to new age teachers or whatever, and they say, I, I, I get the problem of my mind. Like I get that I'm thinking about the future too much or thinking about the past too much. And I want to let go of these things. Um, but, you're right. It's something that we have to work at with baby steps mm -hmm. and just the understanding. This is something that you're not going to take capture Rome in a day. You know, yeah. it's going to take time and it's gradual and change will come, but we have to work every day at it. Um, and it's a full-time job, you know, yoga, it's, it's a practice, a way of life. Like that's something that I think yoga offers, um, to say, look, relax. It's okay to fail every day as long as you're trying. Yeah. And I think that's really beautiful. Sarah. You know, the Buddhists have a, beautiful concept it's called the noble failure and it it's a concept where when we meditate um, meditation is just a process of failing to meditate and it's a noble failure because we're trying mm. and it accepts that limitation of the mind you know but i guess so far it is to say the first thing yoga says about your question sarah about like how do we stop the mind from thinking about the future in the past <laughs> like the first thing yoga says is look you've done a lot of damage for yourself in the past and your life is probably really complicated right now. But for now, let's just agree to stop making new problems. Can we do that? Can we stop <laughs> making new problems? And that's why we have the yamas, you know? Like yeah. maybe if you don't steal your neighbor's belongings. Maybe if you don't buy things you don't need on Amazon and rack up credit debt. Maybe if you don't cheat on your wife or husband. Like maybe if you don't tell so many lies. 
like all of these things are just ways to prevent more problems for yourself, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's so simple. I just It's so simple, yeah. It's so it's it's simple and <laughs> and I don't know if it's always simple to, you know, especially nowadays to keep yourself from urges to, you know, buying things is for quick satisfaction of, oh, well now I have this thing and that's going to make me happy. I think that's a lesson that especially in you know, the city that we live in, um, there's a lot of yeah. <laughs> buying of things and sh- showing what you bought and this fixed my life. Swipe up for the link so you can have it too. That is, is a lot of that, um, which is a, exactly you know, time and a place. If you need a new trash can, sure. You know, that's, you know, you yeah. can justify a, a new trash can, but, um, there's simple, those simple ways to just sort of, to your point, we can eliminate some problems easily. Let's just not do these basic right things and then let's make sure that we focus on these other things that are gonna you know make you feel good or make your life less chaotic I just it had never been broken down for me that way and it seems so simple once you see it and then you think to yourself this has been available for how long and it took me this long (laughs) to find it I don't know it's just it's beautiful too that 7,000 years ago people were having the same kind of struggle that's a nice concept you know, and you're right. Like yoga science is at the heart of yoga. Like we're not interested in things that don't work and uh, things that are concepts or intellectual frameworks. We're more interested in tools that you can use and see results um, like, you know, dependably. So if you do X, you'll get Y. So you're right there. It's like, it's very broken down for us. You know, there are five of these, five of those, like the yamas are the five do not and the niyamas are the five do's, you know? So you've got five things that you shouldn't do, but, Instead, you have five things that you can now do to do instead, like you said earlier, you know, to focus on instead. So keeping clean and creating an altar in your house to cultivate sacredness. These are things that you do. Um, And that's just the foundation of yoga. We haven't even started doing yoga yet, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it's just I find I have found this experience very encouraging in terms of uh, me functioning as a person. Um, (laughs) and then the idea of that, when I hear you talk about it, it's like second, it just comes, it just pours out of you. And it's just so encouraging that this is something that will spark someone's curiosity in the sense that they want to move their body. And then however many years later, they're going to, they maybe are like me and they're learning all these other parts and they're realizing that, that yoga offers you so much more in your whole, in your entire life. And that, you know, somewhere you can go and you can sit with someone and have a a chat or you can go to a studio and practice, or you can go pick up a book and read it. And that these ideas and these tools and these um, stepping stones can, can pretty seamlessly be put into your life and help ease your mind in some way. Help ease the mind. I like that. Just slow it down. Yeah. When it when it was like yeah. you're going through the things and it was like the um, the swirlings of the mind, the riches, I was like, holy crap. Yeah. My whole life they've <laughs> been in there and no one has even labeled them. There was no language. It was right. just like I'm anxious. And it's like, well, what does that mean? That can mean a lot of different things. And the idea right, that was just like right. swirlings of the mind, I'm like, bingo. Bingo. No, I don't. It's like you got a supercomputer, but not a manual on how to use it. Yes. You know? 
Yeah. And that's what the mind is. And Sadhguru, he always says, like, the two greatest tools that humans have, imagination and memory, are the two greatest tormentors, only because we don't know how to use it. We have no control of the interface, you know? Yeah. Oh, my And gosh. you're right. Like, the introduction of a vocabulary is such a contribution of yoga. Mm-hmm. Just the, 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 and to your point that you mentioned, you know, that this has been around for, what did you say, 7,000 years? Like, these, At least. <laughs> these things are not something that I need to feel like, uh, it's my personal fault that this is how, right. Is, yeah. You know, that this is part of being human just as much as it is to love and be happy and to feel right. like you've fulfilled and you've, you know, that you're satisfied in a moment. It's just equal as natural to feel, you know, anxious or scared at times, but knowing that I feel that way and then say, you know, kind of, Oh, be aware of it, witness it, and then kind of move on instead of dwelling right, on it or precisely. living in it because I don't know what this is or you're unaware that it's happening until later you're like, oh my God, that's what that was. I right. couldn't address it or fix it because I was unaware that it was a problem or that it was, I don't know, like it's, it's, it's something that through therapy I realized that I had this stuff going on and then yoga was a way to sort of, you know, cope with it. Work it out. Yeah. And it just resonated you know, with me the, so much. I could see that, like, as we were sitting together and having our Yama Niyama talk, mm-hmm. like, I would see your face light up and, you know, the excitement <laughs> when you would encounter these new ideas. And it's just so beautiful, you it's, know, like, that you're making these personal connections, mm-hmm. which is exactly the point. Right. Right. Um, what made you want to go to training? So, it's like, this is something that's been in your life for so long, but... We both decided around the same time that we wanted to, you know, take an official course in how to yeah, wow. in turn share this. So what got you there? Because we did it at the same time, essentially, which is right. wild to me. It's such a singularity in our lives. And you're right. It's kind of like a big decision for someone to go, I'm going to take this amount of money and I'm going to invest it in learning to be a yoga teacher and take 12 or nine to 12 weeks out of weekends out of my life. And I'm going to, you know, it's a big yeah. decision. You're right. Um, you know, it's really funny, Sarah, because I, I want to be, uh, you know, like when I was young, my goal had always for my life, like my dream is to be a rock and roll guitar player. You know, like playing guitar is, is my home. It's where I, where, I, where I express myself most and where I feel the most inspired action. Mm. So I never before in my life considered being a yoga teacher. I was always going to be a guitar player. And there are all these parallels and it really feels like one of the same thing these days. But um this is funny. When I was 17, I wrote like a letter to myself, like a time capsule kind of thing, you know? Um, and I thought it'd be funny to save in my notes, a little letter that I would write to my 25 year old self or something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I wrote a letter. Um, and in that letter, it was, it, there was a line that said, ah, you're probably a yoga teacher now. (laughs) Nonchalantly, you know, just nonchalantly. It just kind of maybe had it in the back of my mind. Then it was in the summer of 20, 2019, the summer of 2019, I had, you know, I've been practicing yoga my whole life, but it was very personal for me, something that I did one hour, two hours of my personal life. Um, But I was walking in Santa Monica with my partner and a friend, and we walked by Yoga Works. You know, it's the one on Main Street. We walked by that Yoga Works. And I looked at it and I made a joke to my partner. I, I was like, haha, corporate yoga. So I don't know, I made some kind of disparaging joke about yoga in the West. Mm. It was very, very terrible. I just made some kind of joke. Um, 
and my phone heard me. And you know how the phone has like that filtering system where it gives you ads based on what you're saying because listening to you all the time? Yeah. It heard me and the next day it sent me like a seven-day free trial to YogaWorks. You know, it was like sign up for your 10 free days at YogaWorks. And I was like, oh, man, I, I really want to try this out. You know, you shouldn't knock it till you try it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt in me a stirring to investigate asana because I, I liked asana. Um, but it wasn't such a big part of my practice. And I thought, if I go, I can really learn from here, like, what they're really good at, asana. And I went, and just the vibration of the place was so good. It was so authentic and sincere. Mm. And it captured what I held to be sacred about yoga so well. Mm. And it warmed me up to it. And so I started to go every day. And as my asana practice blossomed, I could see how my meditation practice was blossoming too. And it was like I had come to the West to be given this, to be given asana, to be given the foundation that I had missed in the East, you know? And I finally realized why the West and the East need to come together because in the East, the jewels, but in the West, the jewel box, you know? And Yogi Bhajan a long time ago said that the West will be what the East was and the East will be what the West is now. Ah. It's like a process of the East handing over to the West something that the West will preserve and the East will need later because you can already see in India and in Malaysia, people are moving away from yoga. They're moving away from spirituality. These things that have been cultural heritages for so long are starting to fall into neglect and disrepair. It's no longer fashionable. Whereas in the West, it's like the new fashion, the new trend, it's, it's, it's a new age and people love it. So I've met more sincere yogis and more enlightened beings and master meditators here in the West than I did in India or in Malaysia, wow. you know? Wow. That inspired me. So I was so inspired, just like you, Sarah, by the community and by the interest and the enthusiasm that I knew that I wanted to be part of this movement, that I had been privileged enough to be to grown up in something that's dying in the East. And I wanted to take what my grandfather handed me in my traditions, and I wanted to bring it here and help the people that I already saw were so enthusiastic about yoga. So that's what started me on the teacher training path, where I was like, here, am I, here I am at Yoga Work. They train teachers. Maybe I should do it and be a yoga teacher too. Wow. And so one day I just decided maybe after about two weeks of going to asana practice at yoga works in the summer, I was going to do teacher training and I signed up almost immediately. Wow. <laughs> what about you, Sarah? I, I just, I mean, it helped me so much that I started to look at my teachers as like my most helpful friend that I just, I, I, I was actually at a point where I couldn't talk to them cause I was so nervous and that it wasn't, they weren't right. intimidating. They were super friendly. Hey, they, great job today, Sarah. Like, see you next time. Like they were so friendly, but I just admired them because of what they could get me to experience. And after a while I was like, I think I want to be able to make people feel that way too. So I started sharing that feeling with friends and I happened upon a conversation with a friend who actually had just completed what we did and she said I hear everything that you're saying and I think that you should look into it here so I looked up the yoga oh, training, wow. and I just the timing was right and I had you know I had the um, courage to make that financial investment in myself. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's beautiful. So yeah, an act of renunciation. <laughs> yeah. Um, and <laughs> I mean, now I just, you know, we're put, we're out of it and we're in the world and I just, I'm hungry to learn more and to just practice, you know, practice the leading a class and all that sort of stuff. And mm. I just, 
I'm so grateful to have met everybody that I did through my specific class because I understand that that's not a given. You know, the teachers are the ones that you yeah. usually look to for all of the leadership and guidance and inspiration, and they absolutely had that in spades. But we were so lucky because I could turn left or right, and every one of us had a lot more than, oh, it's trendy, and I want to make money off of being a yoga teacher. Right, like right. Everybody precisely. had a personal reason that they were there and that had that yoga had helped them in some way. And I just feel very fortunate that I have this network of people who are just as um, connected to it. And we all have different right. skills and different expertise in it. And I feel like a little newborn baby that's just learning how to walk. <laughs> um, but I just feel you know, so it's funny, grateful. But, yeah. <laughs> No, no, I, I hear you because it, there's no coincidence that this group of people happened to come together at the time when they did, like you pointed out, mm. Sarah, because like, you know, there's a concept in Sanskrit, uh, the, the term that's joriki, meaning concentrated mind. And it's basically like an old concept of synchronicity. It's like what you put out is what you get. Mm. So when you feel a vibration in your heart, like a genuine enthusiasm for yoga and the deeper dimensions of yoga, you just find yourself surrounded by more of the same, like people who have that same vibration. Mm. It's like a physical process, not even a metaphysical one. It's just um, like attracts like, you know. And so here you are surrounded by people who share the same kind of reverence for yoga and are connecting to it in the same way. And it's beautiful because the network, I think, is a very powerful thing. And I already know in my heart that I'm like grateful to be in a world in which you are a yoga teacher, Sarah, because I know that what you have to offer the world of yoga is so powerful and it's like I could summarize it in one word, which is joy. You know, like your, your teaching when you instruct has a vibration of joy and optimism and hope and like maybe enthusiasm, which is sustained joy. You know, and that is the vibration of yoga that's kept it alive for 7,000 years. Thanks, dude. That's so nice. It's very encouraging. No, it's, it's humbling. It's, it's like humbling to see like the torch being carried and that, Yoga remains so alive today as it was so many years ago. It's like very, very awe-inspiring. Yeah. Oh, thanks, dude. That's so nice. Um, woo, we've been doing this for a while. This is good. Um, <laughs> I know you have um, some other stuff to get to today, but really quickly, you talked about music for like two seconds, but I do want people to know that you have music. It's on Spotify. I'm looking at your thing right now. And I was listening to it. Aww. And in terms of you saying like, someday I want to be a rock star that plays a guitar, like a fiend, you do that already. So you've done it. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank, you. Um, Thank you. But in terms of like music and your writing and, and anything that you have planned going forward, can you share with everyone where to find all of your other magical Aww. arms that you have out in the world? <laughs> Uh, thank you, sir. I mean, I, you know, I, for, in terms of yoga, I teach, I'm now recently teaching with this group called Stay Ohm Yoga. Yay. You can find them on Instagram as Stay Ohm Yoga instead of home, it's Ohm. <laughs> um, and I teach an online Zoom class at, uh, 1 11 PM California time every month, uh, every Wednesday and Friday. That's my yoga class, nice. my asana class. But on Monday at 9 PM California time, I teach, uh, a little philosophy, yoga philosophy. So for like an hour and a half, we just have a discussion about the yoga sutras and tantra and the Bhagavad Gita and just some of the Eastern philosophical concepts in yoga. 
just, you know, you want more yoga, that's where to go. Musically speaking, I'm very fortunate to play in a band called Matsya. And for those of you who do yoga, Matsya is Sanskrit for fish. So you might be familiar with Matsyasana, <laughs> fish pose. So I'm in a band called Matsya. Uh, because, you know, it's a tribute to one of the great yogis, Matsyendra, Lord of the Fishers, who kind of started Hatha Yoga. Uh, but also because my name is Nish the Fish, I thought it'd be funny, you know, kind of <laughs> so my stage. Cute. I love it. So, yeah, so you can, you know, listen to that music on Spotify under the name Matsya. Um, I also have music out as a solo act under the name Nish the Fish, if you want more of like guitar instrumentals. And uh, in terms of poetry, I, I, I love poetry, and we're now in the process of putting out a new po- poetry book called Wind and Birdsong. Should be out in the next month or so, but um, there are excerpts from that poetry book um, on my Instagram under the little poetry highlights if you're interested in looking at some poetry, I suppose. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm so excited for it. Yeah, you. those are all the plugs. <laughs> Yay, I love it. No, it's good. It's, it's, Thank you. It's a way for, you know, after these conversations... I want more of you. So this is, you know, for me, <laughs> even just as your friend, I want to see whatever you're working on and what you're yeah. sharing. And you're just so insightful. So it's, these are going to be good tools for people if they need some extra comfort oh, or encouragement. Yeah. You know, Sarah, I would love to just like have conversations about yoga. This is, this has been very nourishing Dude, for us both, I think. we do this all the time. All the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. I, I love like having those little discussions in the yoga teacher group chat. You know, where people will buy a book and it'd be like Eckhart Tolle's Power of Now. And so many of us have read it and love that book. So we'll call and just talk about it. That's, I think, one of the most powerful ways to go forward together is to share what used to be a very personal and introspective journey. It becomes a lot happier, more fun to do together. Yeah. You know? I agree. Well, thank you so well, much for the past hour. <laughs> thank You're you. so lovely and great. And I'm just, I can't wait to share this with everyone. But, um, have an it has been an day. honor, Sarah, to be on this podcast with you. Thank, thank you. I'm so honored that you, you know, wanted to have me on. Thank you for letting me share the space with you today, this morning. Of course. And anytime you have something else you want to share, you just let me know. You say, I want to come back. <laughs> come back as many times as you want, of my course. friend. Oh, of course. And I would love to have you in my class. We should teach a class together. Woo! You know, when all this blows over, Perfect. I would love to do like a day of like a workshop day. You know, one whole day we'll get three or four yoga teachers together and we'll just have a day. I love it. Oh, something to look forward to. I love it. Something to look forward to. Yeah. <laughs> All right, buddy. You have a great okay, it's day. It's happening, Sarah. Perfect. That's our intention. We're going to do a workshop together. Yeah. And Sarah, thank you. You have a lovely, lovely rest of your afternoon. Thanks, buddy. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. Take care.